Good evening, listeners. It's time to settle in for another chilling story of suburban suspense. From the slumbering heads of Mount Rushmore to the twin and windy cities. From the unseen depths of the Great Lakes to the rustling husks of cornfields across the heartland. Who knows what ghouls and crawling creatures lurk among us under the Midwest moon. Every rooftop and coffee shop is suspect here on Monstrous Midwest. Hi, I'm Casey Kustak, and this is The Heckler. Mike's ritual never varied. Before each stand-up gig, he ran through the same routine, less out of superstition than anxiety. Comedians know how little control they have in their work. So much depends on the size and mood of the audience, the venue's atmosphere, and whether the waitresses run the bills during the set. So Mike was painstakingly intentional about those things he could control. A light meal, followed by a silent drive to the bar where he drilled the bullet points of his set as he paced in whatever cramped backstage area was available. At Pizza and Pints, it was that short hallway between the stage and kitchen. It smelled like oregano and may as well have been a kiln for all the heat rolling off the pizza ovens. Tonight, Mike performed feature in the lineup. The perfect billing. He didn't have the heavy lifting of opening or the trouble of holding a tired crowd at the headliner spot. When his buddy introduced him and he jogged onto the stage, he met the audience at their best. Warmed up and quick to laugh. Mike opened with a bit on his Beagle's resemblance to James Gandolfini and then moved into his wife's frustrating inability to follow any Soprano storyline. The audience was on board immediately. He hit his stride several minutes in and felt that easy rhythm that comes when the crowd is fully invested. In sync with that performer, each feeding off each other's energy. He relaxed his shoulders. They were with him. Mike launched into his material on the politics of his daughter's preschool friend group, his most successful bit as of late. He had just started his impression of the group's bossy ringleader when a strange, high-pitched cackle cut through the collective laughter. (laughs) Startled, Mike fell silent, losing his train of thought. The room quieted as he searched for the words. He could hear people shifting in their seats and the tinkle of the ice settling in the drink of someone up front. The moment stretched on. The stage lights bright as high beams. Mike cleared his throat and smiled tightly. He stammered out a couple of false starts before recovering his momentum. The audience, quieter now, but still with him, when there it was again. That laugh. (laughs) Just a moment behind the rest of the crowd, as if someone were mocking him, laughing sarcastically. Mike switched the microphone between his hands and rubbed his sweaty palms on his jeans. He rushed on with his routine, anxious to outpace the heckler, when the laugh erupted again. This time, it cut through a punchline mid-phrase, a piercing shriek of a laugh somewhere between human and hyena. In an instant, Mike's easy alliance with the audience dissolved. 
Mike finished his set with scattered applause and made his way to the back of the bar where his friends were waiting for him. His buddy Norm had ordered him a drink and the group huddled together as they did with every gig, train wreck or triumph. They had all heard that laugh, though no one could agree on where it came from. I didn't get a good look, but I know it was someone up front. No way, I was back here and I heard it right next to me. Someone by the bar. Didn't see who though. Tough break, Mikey. You had such a strong start, Norm said. The others nodded in agreement. While his friends talked, their support verging on pity, Mike searched the faces of the other patrons clustered beside the bar, wondering who it had been. Agitation wound tight, a knot in his chest. He suddenly felt eager to be alone. He made quick goodbyes to the group and shrugged on his jacket and slipped out. In his car, Mike pulled up his post-show music playlists, another ritual of his. Always a choice between the same two options, Credence if he had done well and Joni if he'd bombed. There was no question which way his luck swung tonight. The entire drive home, Mike thought about how unsettling that laugh was. Almost animalistic. He had faced hecklers before and never handled them well. A brutal heckler at college variety show still haunted him. But tonight was different. His reaction was more visceral. For some reason, it wasn't irritation, but panic that gripped him, both in the moment and in remembering it now. Something about that manic pitch of the laugh unnerved him. The fact that he hadn't seen the heckler's face only heightened his unease. Mike merged into a slick, quiet stretch of interstate deep in his own head, with Joni singing softly about a lonely painter when he heard from behind him that laugh. (laughs) Mike spun around. The car careened with his quick movement, sending up a violent spray of slush around the shoulder of the road. He turned forward again, steered the car back within his lane, and slowed to half speed. The back seat was empty. Mike? Alone. A chill crept beneath his collar and down his spine, and he kept a panicked grip on the steering wheel the rest of the drive home. Once home, Mike pulled into his dark garage, his headlights illuminating the coiled hose and shelf of old board games and broken appliances on the back wall. He parked, then hit the garage door button on his visor and turned off the engine, stopping Joni mid-lament. In the three steps from his car to the stairs leading inside, he heard the laugh again. (laughs) Mike whipped around and scanned the darkness. Quickly, he flipped on the dim overhead bulb, but it did little to brighten the room as he searched the shadowed storage shelves and nooks for the sources of the sound. Anything that could have mimicked that laugh. Some electronic toy of his daughter's, maybe? He peered into his car, then his wife's then down between them and along the far wall. Nothing. So strange. He went inside to the kitchen to fix a plate of leftovers. In the light of the oven hood, he scooped potatoes and ham onto a plate and poured a tall beer. Mike could hear his wife and daughter Bertie watching a funny movie together down the hall. Though it seemed a little late for their wind-down routine, he was comforted to hear their laughter. Mike grabbed his plate and headed to the living room to join them, but stopped short when he passed his daughter's bedroom. There she was, sound asleep in the blue glow of her nightlight. 
Mike padded into the living room to find it dark, the TV off and his beagle buster curled up alone beside the couch. Mike abandoned his dinner on the coffee table and headed upstairs in search of his wife. Halfway up the dark stairwell, Mike was met with echoes of that strange laugh. (laughs) He quickened his pace and the jeering grew louder with each step. When he reached the top floor of the landing, his stomach dropped to realize the sound was coming from the master bedroom. He stood outside the door for several breathless moments, immobilized by fear. That was not his wife's laugh. Mike steadied himself and slowly pushed open the bedroom door. In an instant, the shrill, inhuman laughter stopped, and Mike blinked at his wife's sleeping profile in the darkness. He opened the door further, letting the hall light to illuminate the room. It was empty except for the bed and the nightstand. Whatever he thought he'd heard wasn't real. Or at least, wasn't here. Unsettled, Mike headed back downstairs and grabbed his phone. He messaged a group of his comic friends to ask if they had ever experienced anything similar. He could always count on them to have the same backward sleep schedule, wide awake at all hours, and within minutes, they'd respond. They took him figuratively, saying, You can't bring it home with you. Shrug it off, they told him. Do another set and it'll be forgotten. He tried to express how the laugh rang out every bit as ominous and clear at home as it had at the bar, but his friends thought it was just a bit. You sure it wasn't your wife? Maybe she finally got tired of pretending you're funny, one of them joked. Forget it, he told them. How could he convince them of something he didn't understand himself? Mike closed the conversation and pulled up the most recent video saved on his phone, a recording of tonight's show. He had a practice of recording all of his stand-up performances. Rather than point the camera at himself, he'd take on the audience so he could study how the crowd reacted at different moments during his routine. A pretty extreme practice for an amateur comedian, but something he'd always done. It started with a talent show he had bombed in middle school. His best friend's mom had videotaped his routine and given his family the VHS tape. He had watched that tape over and over and over for weeks, analyzing where he'd messed up, how foolish he had been in choosing jokes, and criticizing everything from his delivery to his baggy hand-me-down blazer. Eventually, his mom had confiscated the tape and hidden it, telling him it wasn't healthy to keep replaying it. Now, as he observed the footage from tonight's performance, searching the crowd for the culprit, most audience members were smiling or shrouded in shadow no obvious heckler to be found. He couldn't see any malicious or upset faces, and when the vicious laugh rang out, the only reactions he spotted were the ones of surprise or discomfort. No matter how often Mike paused or where he zoomed in on the crowd, he could not find the source of that laugh. Just as he was about to give up his search, the embarrassment of his routine too much to relive, Mike saw something surprising in the shadows at the back of the bar. Not the heckler, but Alonzo Holmes, a comedian he had met several months earlier. Mike wrote a comedy column for the local newspaper and had been assigned a solo show of Alonzo's to review. Alonzo had absolutely floundered on stage and Mike had struggled to find any high points to the set, which he had always included in his write-ups, no matter what faults he found. After Mike's review came out, Alonzo went AWOL. 
No more showcases or solo shows. He took down his social media pages and, to Mike's knowledge, hadn't performed since. Mike felt awful. He hadn't meant to destroy the guy. He had even tried to contact Alonzo to apologize, but never received a response. In the video recording of tonight's show, Alonzo didn't look resentful or mean-spirited. Neither did he look amused. Oddly, he looked relieved. He was slumped back in his chair, loose-limbed as a broken puppet. His whole body relaxed just as the heckling reached its peak. Mike paused the video and studied Alonzo's face. What in the world? Mike had to call the comedian. Tonight, he retreated to his office in the basement. A single desk and rolling chair were all that warranted the title, office. Otherwise, the entire space was dedicated to Birdie. Mike had created a mini stage for her, complete with Ninja Turtles sleeping bags, hung up as stage curtains, and a light-up play microphone. Their Beagle Buster was Birdie's sole audience on any given day, but she loved to perform as he laughed. Mike brushed past the miniature stage on his way to his desk. He found Alonzo's number in an old email and dialed. It was still hours before dawn, but Alonzo's appearance at the show made Mike too curious to wait. Despite the hour, Alonzo answered quickly and sounded as if he were expecting Mike's call. Before Mike could explain himself, Alonzo apologized. I didn't know what else to do, he said, his voice heavy and tired. What do you mean? Mike asked. I know how crazy this is going to sound, Alonzo warned. But you have to listen to me. Mike waited. Alonzo took a deep breath. A couple months back, I did a show at the Twin Pines Club on Phillips. The whole night, I was heckled by some crazed, shrill cackle. It was just awful, humiliating. Then, for days afterward, I heard that laugh everywhere I went. It was like someone or something had followed me home that night, taunting me. Mike stiffened. I thought I was imagining it that it was some weird stress response to my bad set and I tried to just push past it and go on with my next show. The night you came to see me, I wasn't off my game. I was terrified of attracting that thing again. Any reaction I got from the crowd made the heckling stronger, so I threw the set. After that, the only thing I could think to do was quit. But the heckler never left. For months it's been with me, tormenting me. And then this week, I saw a flyer for your show and had the idea that maybe I could be free of that creature if I could attract it to another comedian. To you. Mike didn't know where to start. What do you mean creature? Like an animal? What are you talking about? Did it hurt you? Is this thing dangerous? Mike didn't hear Alonzo's response. At that moment, his daughter's toy microphone and speaker surged to life. The basement walls reverberated with a taunting screech, high-pitched and distorted like a sinister cackle in a carnival funhouse. Mike flew up from his chair and looked over the back of the couch to see the microphone stand flashing in blinding strobes of pink and yellow. Nobody, and nothing, anywhere near it, as the magnified laugh continued. 
Mike vaulted up the steps and closed the door at the top, locking it behind him. The heckling stopped. Like an eerie music block, slammed shut. Cautiously, Mike pressed his ear to the door. He heard nothing. He suddenly remembered his phone in his hand. Are you still there? Did you hear that? He asked Alonso. The line was silent for several moments before Alonso spoke a final warning. You can't let anyone laugh, he cautioned. That's what attracts it. This thing. It feeds off laughter. Mike slept a few fitful hours after his call with Alonzo and spent the rest of the day keyed up, debating whether to tell his wife about the heckler or his strange conversation. Should he cancel tonight's show? Mike didn't know if he believed Alonzo. He told himself he did not. Last night had been frightening, sure, and definitely hard to explain, but a laughing monster? In what world? Anyway... He couldn't afford to cancel any sets. He would go through with tonight's performance as planned. He had to. Mike's pre-show rituals didn't have their typical calming effects this evening, and a heavy dread enveloped him. Despite this, he smiled as he was introduced and started his routine, urging himself to grit through it. There was no point in performing if he wasn't going to try his best to get laughs but he couldn't keep from flinching at the first smattering of laughs, and he found himself trembling as each punchline approached. Mike started to slow down and swallow his words, intentionally throwing off the rhythm of his jokes. The booking manager frowned at him from the side of the stage, utterly confused. One man, believing Mike's flubs to be purposeful, some kind of inept comedian bit, laughed at his fumbling. A loud, jarring belly laugh. Mike froze. He wordlessly willed the man to stop laughing. Too late. From somewhere within the shadowed crowd, the heckling creature's jeers rang out like the ominous laugh on a vintage Halloween track. (laughs) No! Mike shouted, Stop it! The cackle broke off and the rest of the audience laughed her with it. Mike had never seen such stony faces outside of stage fright nightmares. He stood there, squinting through the spotlight's glare for the heckler, as the crowd grew more and more restless. Baffled by Mike's apparent self-sabotage, Mike's friends tried to rally the crowd, whooping and clapping, but Mike responded with a look of such desperation that they quieted immediately. Mike hurried off stage and pushed out the alley door to the back parking lot. The cold air stung but was a relief after the hot panic he had just experienced on stage. Just as Mike passed, two men talking beside their car erupted in laughter. The friends wheezed at their private joke, and Mike was overcome with the impulse to shush them, to plead with them to stop laughing. But he caught himself. How deranged would that look? Frantically, he scanned the lot. The circles of weak streetlights and stretches of wet pavement beyond, his ears pricked for any sign of the heckling cackle. Hearing nothing... He fumbled for his keys and climbed into his car. On the icy drive home, Mike called to cancel the gig for the following week, and the booking manager for the venue, where he had just performed, canceled his next showcase himself. Ouch. Mike promised himself this wouldn't be a permanent solution, but he needed to buy time to sort through what was going on, whatever this thing was. 
This thing couldn't feed off laughter if he stopped performing. He could keep clear of laughter for as long as it took. He made a mental list of jobs he knew to be hiring. A seasonal temp job could get the family through the next couple months, and by then, he'd know what to do. Dusk settled as Mike drove on, his heart rate beginning to level. He had a plan. Mike got home to find his wife at the kitchen counter, spooning ricotta into a pan of lasagna. He gave her a kiss and peeked into the family room to greet his daughter. The closing credits of Toy Story played to an empty couch. Where's Bertie? Mike called out, walking back to the kitchen. His wife nodded toward the back door. She's been out back for ages. Buster has her in fits the way he barrels through the snow. Mike opened the door to Bertie's shrieks and giggles as Buster raced frantic circles around her in the drifts. The dog was a dark blur in the fading light, his daughter a joyful heap of pink snowsuit. Mike smiled at the scene for a moment before his whole body froze. Not from the rush of icy air pushing into the house, but from the second shrill laugh he heard alongside Bertie's. You've been listening to Monstrous Midwest Radio Theater. We hope you'll join us soon for more spooky thrills right here under the Midwest Moon.